Welcome into the Joe Schmo Sports Show. Uh, we are the Schmoes, Clint, Dom, and Dre. What's up, fellas? What's going on, Clint? How you doing? I'm doing well, sir. More times than not, guys, here on the Joe Schmo Sports Show, we try to interview people that have interesting and different perspectives from the world of sports, and today is no different. We have Mr. Tommy DeBlasi here from the number 19 Martin Truex car, who is the tire specialist. How are things going? Oh, chilla, man. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day. We'll talk about this in a little while, but Dom was saying how much of a busy week that you have. So I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about that in a little while, man. But Tommy, why don't we start off here, man? Tell us what a tire specialist does. So every week you get a certain amount of tires. So say they're 10, 11 sets of tires for the race weekend. Obviously there's four sets or four tires in a set. So my job is I get to the track. I get all 11 sets. I take each tire individually, measure the circumference of them, get the wear numbers off of them, spring rates, get all the data off of each individual tire, put it all into a spreadsheet on the computer. And then from there, I just start working where we want our tires to be, where we want if we want them loose, tight, where you want the stagger, if you want a lot of stagger, a little bit of stagger, if you want a first set to start, if you think the track's going to be tight, you'll you know, want a little bit more stagger later on in the race. So you just you know, move your tires around and set them where you want. Tommy, our audience generally, they're like football, college basketball type folks. They may get into a little golf, this and that. So we're giving it, it, people who may not necessarily get a lot of exposure to NASCAR or racing in general – yeah, Clint over here <laughs> is some exposure to this through having conversation with you. So when you use words like tight and loose, what does that mean for a car? How does that impact the your driver's ability to be competitive in the field in a particular week? So tight, when you're, when you're going in to the turn at 190 miles an hour, it'll, once the car gets into the turn, It'll start pushing up towards the wall, okay. and he has to turn the wheel more to get it to wrap around the corner. Okay. If he's loose, when he gets into the turn, the back end starts skating out on him. And it's like a dirt track, mm. that start turning, it starts getting off on you. So you can't get back to the gas or the back end will turn around. Okay, so the vast majority of people on the planet they Don't you know they hour. drive in normal traffic <laughs> they drive maybe they get up to 90 miles per hour mm. on a flat interstate and they're in traffic and they've got normal tires and things like that what does that mean what does that feel like to drive 190 miles per hour and what does a track actually feel like because i've seen them and they're mm. it looks like you're staring yeah. at a wall yeah. right they're driving literally on a concrete wall so what is what is the difference? Can you explain it in real world terms to, to people who haven't actually experienced this before? I don't know how to explain that. Bumpy. Bumpy. <laughs> it's definitely not like driving a Cadillac. No, certainly. It would be chattering of, the whole way around. It would be the kind of thing that you put an average person behind the wheel of that and they uh, they leave something in their pants, right? Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. If, if they can actually get up to that speed. So even if they were driving in a car like that, if they were behind the wheel of a stock car, they would never get it that, that fast. Probably not. Mm. Yeah. Not before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, go ahead. can you do like tight, like tighter tires, like on one side or on the front or on the back? Does it make a difference? So, if you do, do, um, you so do tight on one, do you have to do it on the, all the others or? So on a normal weekend, you have a left side compound and a right side compound. So the left side tires will always be there. Right side tires will always be on the right side. This weekend, we go to a road course. Right. So it's all four tires are the exact same compound, exact same everything. So we can put those from right to left, not just front to rear, like on a normal oval racetrack. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, because yeah. you're normally only turning left. And yep. so whenever you're on a road course, you have to definitely change up the game plan. So when you use words like stagger and data for tires, like Dre's over here, like nodding and shaking his head like he understands what you're talking about. I don't. So what, what, are, what, are the, what kind of data can you get from a tire? And I, like, I just don't understand that, I guess. Stagger's the difference between the um, left side and right side. Okay. We use millimeters just to keep it that much tire. So just for an example, say the left side tire is... 28 millimeters smaller than the right side tire. If the next set, the left side tire is only 27 millimeters than the right side tire smaller, then that means you have one millimeter less stagger on that set than you had on the first set, and that will tighten you up just because of the difference from the left rear to the right rear. And the millimeters really make that much of a difference. Like one millimeter can make that much of a difference. That is, yep. that's pretty You can cool. run... We'll run, say you run 45 to 50 pounds, say you have 50 pounds of air in your right rear tire. We'll do as little as two to three tenths out of that and go to 48.8, mm. and that'll make a difference. Wow, So if you think of nuts. shocks, spring, the four shocks, you have four springs, you're going 200 miles an hour, and you have 50 pounds of air in your tire, and the driver can feel two tenths. And that's, you put the gauge on there and sort it, and that's, that can make a difference. So, so it's crazy to tell that with the engineering on the engineering side of it, that they can get this thing that close yeah. and the driver can feel every little ounce of everything going that fast and being that far on edge to feel something as little as that. I would imagine going at those speeds, at, at those inclines, that that small of a difference, the faster you get, the the more like the, the more that accentuates the difference. Yep. Yeah. So do, when you talked about having 12, 12 different sets of tires coming into any given weekend for That's a race, a is that 12 sets of tires just for the main race, or does that uh, 12 sets of tires include for qualifying, oh, for testing, That's for everything for the entire week, this or is, is that just about. for the race? That's just for the race. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we haven't practiced or qualified since COVID started. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for the past year and a half, we've had race only. So... On a normal weekend, pre-COVID, you'd get five sets for practice and qualifying, and then you get to the race, or just depending on some tracks, you have nine sets of tires. The Coca-Cola 600 will be, that's coming up next week. Yeah. Uh, that'll be, that's a yeah, you get 13 sets of tires for that race. Yeah. Okay. So when you come into a race weekend and you've got your 12 sets of race tires, are all 12 sets calibrated exactly the same? Or do you have different sets that are calibrated differently depending on potential race conditions on that given day? And then you may adjust the different sets depending on what's happening in the race. So they, even though 
So say all your left side tires, even though it's the same compound, okay, they are all twenty-four left side tires are completely different. Okay. So spring rates are different. The, the spring rates vary, probably 70, 80 pounds. This the circumference, which we call you know staggered. Mm. So the circumference is that'll vary probably five or five, six millimeters. Yeah. So even though they're supposed to be the exact same tire, they're all very different. So that's part of my job is make sure, like you said, to try to keep all of those sets as similar as possible. So the driver feels every sure. time we change a set of tires, he feels as little as possible. Hmm. Now, now as the tire specialist are when it comes to the time between changes and pit stops where you're making those tire adjustments are you the are you the ones sitting there going all right this change we're gonna place this particular set of tires or is that like a crew chief decision at the moment during the that's mainly a crew chief decision but we basically will have lower air pressure worse on a short run better on a long run the more air pressure you have the better you will be on a short run worse as the air pressure builds up and the air pressure will build like 25 pounds to the run. So you want to try to maximize that. So say a caution comes out under 10 to go in a race. Yeah. And obviously tires are important. Everybody comes down. You want to have a set put to the side, pumped up about three, four pounds more than where your normal sets have been. Okay. So you can fire off better for a short run. You're only going to have eight laps. Right. So we generally have that one set put to the side that has higher air pressure than the rest of the sets. Most of the tires that you have are set at the same air pressure, except for yep. that really like that finishing set if you need it, right? Yeah, finishing now, of a stage. Can you adjust sets of tires in race? So you're, you're set at a certain PSI going into the race, but you realize maybe that's too tight for the particular tire conditions and you need to make modifications. Do you then, are you the one that goes and makes the modifications on all the tires, sets of yes. tires going forward? Yep. Okay. So yeah, so say we're out on the racetrack and he's too tight and they want to take a pound out of the right front or put a pound in the right rear. Yeah. Then the next few sets the rest of the sets all make that adjustment to the one on the wall right. and the ones after that so they're ready to go okay and then we just have every adjustment that comes you just keep up with them so dre had a question he wants to know if when racing a road course is it mandatory to use two different tires like it is in formula one and or are there different grades of tires no we don't have so formula one has hard compound medium compound and soft compound which i mean that plays the hard compound is better for a long run. They last longer. You're not as fast in the first five, six, seven laps, but they don't wear out as fast. Medium's just medium ground. It's decent on a short run, decent on a long run. And then soft compound is really, really good for the first five, ten laps, but then they wear out because mm -hmm. the compound's so soft and they fall out. So NASCAR tried that at the All-Star race five years ago. So five years ago, we had four sets of tires in the stall, and they had one set with green a green Goodyear logo that was supposed to be the soft set that you could use any time in the race whenever you wanted. Okay. It didn't really work out. They were expecting that set to be like a half a second faster than the rest, thinking that the guys that put those on would be in the back and fired from mm -hmm. the front. But it, it really maybe a tenth difference, mm -hmm. and then... 
So it ended up failing miserably, so we never tried that again. But at the road course, no, all of our compounds, every single set is the exact same. Does your job differ from a road course to a to an oval? Not really. Yeah. The only thing that differs is when I'm sorting tires, I can put the lefts on the right, so the right's on the left. Hmm. Other than that, it's the same as business as usual. Measurements, circumference, wears, tire temps, tire hmm. pressure, all that stuff. So, Tommy, I think a lot of times when people see they're watching Sports Center or something like that, they may not be a regular viewer or consumer of uh, NASCAR or auto racing just in general. So people look at the they look at the driver, right? And that's the person, the face of the team that they recognize. But maybe they don't realize that there's like how much goes behind putting that race car out there and, and getting to that checkered flag or even just getting to a finish or a start. So can you tell us a little bit about what the structure of a of a team is for a specific car and then beyond that, like a racing team like Gibbs, what does that structure look like? How much time you have? <laughs> I mean, it goes, I can, it gets pretty deep. It goes, okay. you're talking... The car we're racing this weekend has been in production for weeks now. It starts in the heavy fab department where they build the chassis. Then once they get the chassis built, then the next week it goes over, gets the body put on it. And then after the body's put on it and rolled out, then it goes to the body shop you know, where they start shaping it. It goes to the Hawkeye machine, make sure all that's green, which is like the scan that we go through for tech. Finish fab to get all the other parts on it weeks and weeks in advance. Then it gets out to the assembly line where it starts getting engines, seats, all the basic stuff that the driver needs, brake hoses, brakes, that whole deal. By the time we get it, like the road crew, so you have the shop crew, then you have the road crew. The road crew, by the time we see the race car, it is fully assembled, pretty much wrapped because they all get wrapped now instead of painting like you know you have set of paint schemes and the number yeah. decals and stuff now everything's just one wrap and it's all the stuff is ingrained in the actual wrap i mean you mm. you hold up the whole side of the race car and it's a thin piece of paper and all the decals and all that are yep you know, just on it modern on technology so once all that by the time we get it really as far as the road crew goes our job is to go over each every part of the race car Make sure all the bolts are tight. Make sure the shop guys didn't miss anything. Then you start, then you have to scale it, get the wedge, get the right springs in, shocks on, go back through the Hawkeye a couple times after it's wrapped to make sure the scan stays on there. Um, you have side skirts, you have backups of everything. You got to make sure that's on the truck. You know, truck drivers do that. Toolbox, you bring these big toolboxes to the racetrack. All that has to be revamped, restocked ready to go and make sure you have everything you need at the racetrack that weekend. It's endless. And we spend just, after the car is pretty much completely assembled and wrapped, I'd say we probably spend 30, 35 hours on it before we even get to the racetrack. Not to mention all of the hours that are put in the weeks prior to it. So maybe make an analogy to, say, a 
football team because it seems like there's a lot of moving parts and yeah. there's a lot of moving parts to a football team. Who's the general manager that selects the talent? Who's the guy that's the head coach? I would imagine that the driver is maybe the quarterback. I don't know w- what analogy that you would draw. Maybe the guy that's in the, the race day team or the offensive line or blocking and tackling. Just w- what would that kind of look like to somebody who's an outsider to the sport? So what, Tommy's what, like a coordinator. I, I don't know what he is. Like the okay. I don't know. It's tough to explain because racing is like no other street. Yeah. It's, it's not – there's so many moving parts. There's so many different people. I mean, so if you were to – Well, where does the buck stop? Who's the ultimate Joe accountability? Coach Gibbs. Yeah. Coach Gibbs. He, he oversees, but obviously there's a lot of people under him. Yeah. You have GMs. You have competition directors. But then I'd have to say probably the crew chief is – the crew yeah, chief, crew chief. At the end of the day, yeah, crew chief has a lot of the final say in using the car set up. Does the it... guys, he does the hiring of his guys. When we, when we were at Furniture Row and Furniture Row shut down, mm-hmm. the 19 car, it had Daniel Suarez and his team. When they ended up moving, they got Martin Truex, who was the driver, and Goldberg, who was crew chief. When they came over, Cole was allowed to hire his guys which luckily I ended up being one of them, but he was able to bring, you know, six of us with him from Colorado mm. to that nice. team. Okay. So I'd have to say, yeah, ultimately the same what he puts in place. So he's probably the head is, coach. Is the, the crew team. chief is is the crew chief looking over the production side too? Is he overseeing the building of the cars as well? Or is there somebody else that's doing that and the crew chief kind of takes it from all right, the car is built. Now we're going to put the finishing touches on it, and he's in charge of the racing side. He's in charge of the racing side. So it's changed a lot. Like, crew chiefs have gotten a lot different over the last 20 years. You know, okay. you used to have the, the roughneck mechanics who were really savvy with a race car that right. ended up being crew chiefs. Uh, now sure. you have engineers that are crew chiefs. So now our crew chief been an engineer his whole life so he makes the build sheet he has this whole sheet on how he wants to call belt what parts he wants on there and then he sends that out to the shop head so the the fab the head of the fab shop the head of the body shop the head of the assembly shop all of them get the 19 car build sheet and then they get it for their guys and essentially that's how all the parts get on the car. okay i have a question now pardon my ignorance is there a new car every week, yeah. barring incidents, of course? Not brand, not brand new, but okay. when, so like the car that came back from Dover last week, so that car today went into teardown. <clears throat> It'll get all the parts stripped off, some of the body, whatever, it repainted. Not brand new parts, you know, and then this car, the car we raced, probably won't see the race trading down for another eight, nine weeks. Okay, so what if the driver really likes the way the car ran, likes the way it felt, everything? Do you leave everything the same as long as there's no, like, body damage or anything? We've done that before, and it sucks. Why does different it race suck? Car, or different racetracks, well, different Well, yeah, let's say right? you're going from uh, – so I don't know the tracks like that. Name two similar tracks. I know that you said Atlanta was hard on race cars – and Darlington was harder on race cars. So let's take so let's take two two tracks that are easy on race cars that are I mean that on cars that are what five hundred mile about the same. So so we when I was with Furniture Row back in twenty fifteen, we I forget the races it was. I want to say it was Kansas and Charlotte. Similar, both mile and a half racetracks. We were in Colorado 
too, which made it even worse. But we're in Kansas, which is an hour away, eight hours away from Colorado. We really liked the car. We, we led the most laps, dominated the whole race. We ended up, that car got back to the shop like 6 a.m. the next morning. And we landed, slept for about five hours, went into the race shop, tore everything off that car, cleaned everything, got everything back on the car, put the new setup back in the car, rewrapped it with the new, with the, because I think might've been different sponsors. I mean, mm. might've been Furniture But anyway, redid the whole car and it took two days of being there, you know, 18, 19 hours a day to make sure that was ready for the next weekend. Because it's it takes weeks to prepare a car after it comes back. That's crazy. But, I mean, if you if you really want to, shift the thing too. You put not only did you put however many miles you put on during practice, but you put five hundred miles on that race car. So to have to take that back, turn it all around to get it ready for a six hundred mile race. It's like an old glove for for a baseball player. I don't know. If, I don't know what kind of superstitions NASCAR drivers have. I'm sure they have some crazy all stuff. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, how many stitches do you have to stitch <laughs> in that glove between every single game? Yeah. So it's just like, I was just figuring if, if the driver really likes the car and likes the way everything felt and it was great and ever, it was successful, then why wouldn't they be able to use it again? Yes, the wear and tear, you change out well, the tires. I'm, 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 I'm going to ask a question that's going to that's going to make your head explode here for a second. Don't, don't the requirements for the cars change like it rules wise from track to track? based upon NASCAR standards? This year. Jeez. Not, not in a normal year. The okay. only reason why it does this year, this is going to be tough to explain, but... <laughs> okay. Low, low downforce and high downforce. So 2016, 17, and 18, we had a low downforce package, which means the spoilers on the back of the car were very small. The splitters on the front of the car were very small. Hmm. So NASCAR in 2019 decided to change it to make racing closer they decided to go to a high downforce package which was a high spoiler big splitter to create more downforce which ultimately makes you slower down the front stretch because it's more drag it's like a, having a parachute on the back of your car but when you go through the corner there's more air pushing down the top of the car meaning more downforce and they hold it more wide open so it's less braking Lower speeds, less braking. So after doing that for two years, they realized for short tracks and road courses that the racing was better with low down. This just happened to in the last year. So they realized that they might have been wrong going to the high downforce. So now it's short tracks and road courses. We do low downforce, mile and a half. We do high downforce. People want so to see we speed, go back Tommy. and forth. We go back and forth every damn week, whether we do low downforce or high downforce. Yeah. But under normal, so you can't do the back-to-back -back car really. You wouldn't want to unless right. it's a track that's kind of. So, so Tommy, what about restrictor plates? Oh, geez. That's uh, we don't have restrictor plates anymore. No more. When did that no, end? That, they changed it to a really a higher downforce package with drafting ducks for super speedways. Talladega and Daytona. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, they so were the restrictor plate. Car on four Weren't those introduced because the speeds on those just got too high yeah. and it, it became too dangerous for the, the drivers? On the yes. super speedways. Yep. Right? Yeah. yeah. But now that with the new package, with the high downforce package and motor differential, they can only get so fast. 
Gotcha. All right. So speaking of things that are that changed this year, t- talk about this no qualifying thing. How has it changed your job? How has it changed the sport? And are things getting back to normal as far as that goes, or is it going to have to wait till next season? The no qualifying thing's been it's been weird. It's been different. Um, they've come out with a formula based off of points, your previous finish, fastest lap time to determine where you start for the next race. Hmm. So if you have a good run previous weekend, you'll probably start well for the next race. It's been good as far as family life goes. I have sure. a two-year-old and a one-year-old. So Less time, we, had, yeah. we used to fly out every Thursday evening, <clears throat> practice and qualify on Friday, have two practices on Saturday, race on Sunday. 38 weekends a year is brutal. We're gone. Yeah. From February to November, there's two weekends a year that we were not gone from Thursday to Sunday. Yeah. Now, we either fly out Sunday morning, go to race, and fly back Sunday night, or fly out late Saturday night and fly back Sunday night. So it's made life a million times better. Yeah. No backup cars. So during the shop during the week, you don't have to worry about getting two cars ready. You only have to get one car ready. Are they going back? (laughs) Are they going back? to the qualifying thing, I would assume, at some point? Starting, starting this weekend. Oh, no joke. Oh, is that, is why, that why you're going this to weekend, Texas? That's why so this early. weekend's going to okay. be well, That's why this week is so much different. You know? yeah. so we were actually joking about it today at the shop. We were joking about how this weekend, this week's going to be brutal because we have a backup car for the first time this year. So we have two cars to get ready. Mm. We're flying out Friday. We have to be at the track for practice and qualifying Saturday, race Sunday. Funny thing is, it's going to be one of the busiest weeks and weekends of the year. But if you date back to pre-COVID, mm. if we were to look at this weekend, we only have to be at the track for two days. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> so, didn't they do qualifying? It, it qualifying was on Thursday or Friday before, right? Friday. Yeah, yep. and and then there was another race, tip, uh, typically another mm-hmm. another series that was like racing on Saturday or whatever it was. Yeah. It, are yeah, they, they doing? Still do, they still yeah. do those races. Okay, okay. They'll have be truck races Friday, Xfinity races Saturday. Neither of them have practice or qualifying either. And gotcha. you're going to be in Texas this weekend? Is that what it is? Yeah, Austin, yeah. Texas. This will be our first time. So Austin, Texas is always hosting F1 every year. And I believe IndyCar as well. This will be the first time NASCAR is ever raced on that track. Y'all are going to have a massive crowd. Yes. Massive. Because did yeah, you, I don't me, know if you heard about the fight last week, right? The box, the boxing, yep. the boxing match. 70,000 70, Canelo. Well, for the first. The, the, it was in Dallas. Oh, And they okay. had 70,000 70, fans. It's the largest crowd insane. to ever see a boxing match in the U.S. And so I assume that. NASCAR is going to be as many as they can hold, I assume. especially with especially with as big as that track is, yeah. and that they've never raced there before. So a yeah. lot of people in that Texas area are going to it's pretty dope, man. Check this out for the first time. Y'all it was, have a shit ton I, I have of people. a friend from high school who lives down there. I've been trying to get him tickets for three months ever since they lifted the mandate, which I believe was beginning of March. I think yeah, Texas. Probably. I've been trying to get him three tickets for it, and I, you know, it's not hard to get tickets for a race. Impossible. Also, everybody from California is moving to Austin. So then, then you have all the NASCAR fans that are that are following Rogan and Elon Musk to Austin. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's, it seems to me, I've been to a bunch of races living down in, in the Charlotte area for a long time, that the races are, it's not just the race people come out to see the race. It's basically a festival. It's like the damn carnivals mm-hmm. in town. You're, you're yes. there. 
for I mean people come in for a week at a time and they're they bring in their RVs and they set up these like race villages and there's things going on every single day whether it's qualifying or other races or practices or races at the Z Max track like the or the dirt tracks around the area so people just make this week's vacation or they follow the series from uh, city to city has that been different during covid for from your perspective as a professional and are you looking forward to really having the fans back on a full-time basis yeah it's it's i so i grew up going to the racetrack my dad's yeah. taking me to dover and pocono since i was two years old i grew up a big, pretty big race fan it's different like the past year you have no fans in the stands you have no fans on pit road you I think one of the most exciting things is when you win a race, the crowd goes wild. You have people in your pit stall going wild, high-fiving, I mean, the burnouts, the whole deal, and the whole weekend, really. Yeah. You know, you pull into a racetrack, and there's people passed out in the infield drunk from the <laughs> night before, waking up That's at 6 a.m. drinking already for the race, you know, because they've been going at it for three days. Going. Yeah. Post-race, you leave the racetrack, people are asking for hats. Kids want autographs, the whole deal. It's during COVID when you, you know, when you would win a race, it's dead silent. You can't so, go to victory lane. There's no champagne spray. There's no confetti. There's, it's a little it's, depressing. It's, isn't it's it? a eerie feeling almost. It's well, weird. how do you think the drivers are going to react? Because I'm assuming that the <laughs> Texas Motor, Austin Motor, is it Texas Motor Speedway? Is that what Austin, it is? I wonder if they're going to allow the fans on the infield and all the things that you're talking about to get autographs and all that and how the drivers are going to react. Have you gotten any kind of feel about that at all? Yeah, I think NASCAR, so they, they just lifted the mask mandate for us. Mm -hmm. So this past weekend was the first time we didn't have to wear a mask at the racetrack. Yeah. I bet you that. Which is coming at a good time because yeah. it's getting ready to hit summer and practices. Um, but I think they're going to let them in the infield, but not on pit road. Need a hot pass to get on pit road, stand with pit stall. I don't think they probably won't allow that. I heard something that big sponsors few big sponsors will be Shocker. able to come into the track as long as they're vaccinated no doubt sure but i don't think they'll just let the any fans come in oh, i'm sure it's gonna be great with the fans back now now we're, we're is was your team and and everybody in that's associated able to get vaccinated yeah. so that you can remove the masks and be safe as you travel from city to city yeah they they had a few opportunities they they came to the race shop Yep. Nice. Had a whole vaccine clinic at the race shop, and then NASCAR held one for all NASCAR employees who didn't have a place like Joe Gibbs Racing, a company that big. So they were able to go to the racetrack That's as awesome. long as they had their NASCAR credential, and they were able to get vaccinated. So the people, different options. So the people that came to do the vaccine for you guys, that was done by Joe Gibbs and Joe Gibbs Racing. Which company? That you said the first time that they came to the shop, but that was a Joe Gibbs thing. That was a Joe yep. Gibbs racing like company thing. That's pretty cool that, that uh, they would do that. What's what is it like working for Joe Gibbs? Because this dude's a Hall of Famer in all aspects. He's pretty intense. Yeah, you can you can see how he's so successful. I mean, yeah, he, high levels man, of excellence, right? Yeah, he's 81, 82 years old. Still getting it. Before every race, he's, he speaks and you listen and. He can amp you up pretty fast. And then, I can only if imagine. his teams win, yeah. he's probably the most excited one on that whole, the whole garage area. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got to imagine. But you guys have a, a super strong team. You've got the, the 19. You've got the, the Kyle Busch car. You've got the, the Hamlin team. That's three of the easily three of the top 10, if not top five, right there. And I got Christopher Bell that's in the 20 car, and he's one of the best upcoming drivers. And he already has a win this season. So Nice. All right, so how does this work? <laughs> so you're competing against each other every Sunday, right? No matter what the team is, right? So you're competing against each other, the other people in Joe Gibbs Racing, right? So do y'all work together when you're not competing against each other? Is there like sharing of parts, sharing of mechanics if something happens to somebody like injury oh, or sickness or, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know how to do it. All, all four cars are lined up next to each other in the shop. Okay. Um, we share notes, we share data, we share everything. No matter what happens, back when we would practice, say, the 18 cars, say Kyle Busch wrecks in practice, you'll see guys from the 19, the 11, mm. the 20, diving in on that 18 car, helping making sure that back their backup car is out and ready to go. But race day is a completely different thing. No help on race day. Same deal. Yeah. We, work, we still work well together on race day. There's just two weeks ago, there was five laps left in Kansas, was it? Somewhere, wherever it was, Kyle Busch, wherever Kyle Busch won, Martin started right behind him. Martin pushed him to the win, pretty much. You have restarts where the drivers work together, say they're both starting on the outside row. If Martin's first and Kyle's second, Martin, they let each other in. They, they work together really well. I'd like to see what kind of bets go back and forth between these guys. That <laughs> Obviously, I don't know if you guys don't watch racing, you probably don't remember it, but they work with each other to a certain extent. And it was actually Kyle Busch in 2017 at Indianapolis. Martin and Kyle were working well together and Kyle was leading and Martin was second and Martin kept letting Kyle in so we could keep being one, two, one, two throughout the whole race. We ended up beating the 18 off pit road and we were first and the 18 was second. There was 40 laps to go. And now it was Kyle's turn to let us in just like we had been doing to him the whole race. And Kyle said, it's too late in the race to help each other out. It's go time. So he mm. didn't help us out, even mm. though we had been helping him out the whole race. So they were both mad at each other. So mm. when the green dropped, they both went into turn one as hard as they could, and they both wrecked. Uh, <laughs> they took each other out. Is it Kyle that doesn't have the best of reputations? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. That's what I thought. I don't know any specifics. I just <laughs> that's that's all I do know. <laughs> I do remember something about yeah. I remember something about the 130 miles per hour in a school zone oh, with yeah, a brand that, new that. like test Lexus yeah, or something like okay. that. <laughs> and he also does the backflips. That, no, that's no, a that was Carl. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, hey, explain something to me because this doesn't make any sense to me. The 19 exactly. is in third place right now in points, and yep. you guys have more wins than anybody else on the series right now with three. And yet, you're 102 points behind the 11 in Denny Hamlin, and he hasn't won a single race. To 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 people who aren't big followers of, of racing i'm people how, how does that work it seems to me you guys should be number one with the bullet because you've won the most races and you've been very successful this year so if you Requiring. so standings and bonus playoff points are different when you win a race that's what to explain this so they put stages and so now you have stage one stage two if you finish okay. first in stage in the stages, you get ten stand points to your standings. Second okay. gets nine, third gets eight, so on. 
10th place gets one point. If you finish outside of the top 10 at the end of the stage, you get zero points. If you win a race, I think you only get five points more than second place. Mm, that's how. No, that's but, you get, but you get five bonus points to the playoffs. So if you look at the playoff standings, we're leading the playoff standings. Because okay. I think we have like 18 bonus points. Right. Where Denny Hamlin only has three or four or something from okay. just stage wins. Okay. But Denny, Denny has been super consistent. Every sure. stage, damn near every race, he's finishing second or third. Mm-hmm. So he's almost maximizing his points because at the end of every stage, he's getting nine, eight or nine points. You know what I mean? Where sometimes we finish seventh or eighth in a stage or sometimes like yesterday we didn't even finish in the stages so we didn't we had zero stage points yesterday where denny i think finished fourth and fifth and was able to get another 12 stage points all right so i have it pulled up right here so y'all are leading in the playoff points 472 to 332 so behind ahead of alex bowman right yep. so to to your point tommy denny hamlin's 11th exactly so but at the end of the regular season, before the playoffs start, if you are first in regular season points, where Denny is right now, you get 15 playoff mm. points. Yeah. It's so freaking confusing. It's ridiculous. Well, top the whole stage thing yeah. and the whole playoff point thing is made racing mm-hmm. so confusing to the okay. basic fan who just, you know what I mean? But yeah. So there is an upside to being first in points, but you still. Ultimately, the goal is to get as many wins as possible so you get as many playoff points. Right. I was just going to ask you, would you rather be in the the position of the number 11 car where you're leading in regular season points, or would you rather be in your position where you're leading in wins? Position where you're leading in wins. Mm -hmm. Because also, if you finish first in the regular season, you get 15 bonus points, but then second gets 10 third gets nine. So our three wins give us 15 bonus points plus eight where Denny's only going to have the 15 bonus points. Okay, okay. Okay. And, and plus, you guys get a little bonus. That's right? what I was you about to race. Ask. Explain <laughs> oh, it however well, you want. Right? So, Coach Gibbs is a pretty smart guy where he's structured the bonus program yeah. to where someone like myself, I get the same bonus if Kyle Busch or Denny Hamlin wins that if Martin Truex wins. Nice. Oh, okay. That yeah. way, it's just as important if those guys win, and I'm just as excited if those guys win. Than mm, if, no doubt. Sure. Is. You just your primary responsibility is to the nineteen, but then you, exactly. you help everybody else. I got it. Okay. So, okay. so what if you guys win the championship? What kind of bonus are we talking about now? Is it like on a large? Uh, definitely, I would assume it'd be on a larger scale. But is there is there a set, like a set structure for that, or is it just a hey, this guy gets this much? No, they do. So they do a percentage. Okay. For like all the crew guys, it's like I want to say. It's like they take like twelve percent or whatever the percentage is, and they divide it up among the crew guys. Nice, and sure. Championship and Daytona Five Hundred are definitely the biggest. Yeah. Persons. For I bet sure. Daytona was weird this year. What's that? I said I bet Daytona was weird this year. With no, because yeah, they didn't have any fans in February. There's no way. What's that? Florida was pretty wide open. Yeah. This whole thing. I don't, yeah. It won max, but it, it was a limited. Yeah. yeah. So how did how is it different being on the Gibbs team at number nineteen, than when you were with the fur- when you were with Furniture Row Racing with Truex, how I mean, you're you got the same driver, you got the same crew chief. How is the experience different for you? Less control, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. to the sense of where Joe Gibbs is a big company. 
Yeah. All four cars. I don't want all four cars equal. So if we, if the 19 thinks of something or does something that can better the cars, you share it with your competitors, but your teammate. You know I mean? Right. So we share. And they do the, the same with together. you. We're at Furniture Row. We're a single car team. So yeah. if we found something that benefited us. It benefited us, and we didn't have to let our competitors slash teammates know but, about it. But you didn't you get, get the benefit. You didn't get the benefit, though, of having three other teams there and getting all their data and assistance as well. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get. I mean, some because we were like yeah. a Jenkins affiliate at that time, but okay, not to the extent that we do now. Couple questions. Number one: Who was your favorite driver gro- driver growing up? Ernie. Ernie Irvin. Okay. All right, so what made you an Ernie Irvin fan? I don't know. I think my dad was an Ernie Irvin fan in the okay. late 80s. So you had the T-shirts and the, oh, the hats yeah. and yeah. all the things. You know, right. See, I was a Dick Trickle fan, and I think that's hats. self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> I said I was a Dick Trickle fan, and I think that's self-explanatory. <laughs> Sometimes you can't take him anywhere. Um, <laughs> I think Tommy knows that. <laughs> and what's your favorite track? Or has been your favorite track? It, Hell yeah, why not? You, you yeah, said it's the worst on tires. Week. You said it's the worst on tires, but it's the worst on tires, but it's an awesome track. It just yeah. has you roll into Darlington and it has the nineteen fifties feel. Yeah. It's it's so awesome. It's in the racing there is so good. Okay. South Carolina. If you haven't been to a race and you're gonna go to your first race, go to Not no not Talladega. That's what I've been told. Uh, super speedway racing is it's different. It's different. It's not. It's pack racing. It's cool, but it's so big. It's tough to you can really only see what's in front of you. Yeah. If you want to really see racing and see cars sliding around and guys coming off the corner sideways, it's awesome. What about Martinsville? Is that a good one to go to? It's pretty cool. Really yeah. short track. And that's pretty. Speeds. That's pretty close. That's pretty close to us. We're about an hour and two hours away. <laughs> Martinsville. Martinsville has a lot of cool traditions too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I've never it's been. It's always good to have one of those in your house. Ah, <laughs> nice. My uh, my wife's grandmother has one. It doesn't work, but uh, we need to get that fixed for sure. So, so Tom, I make sure that thing doesn't work. It dings and it's, <laughs> it the, the first two weeks, I was like, oh yeah, I kept cranking it up and cranking it up because I was so excited. And then finally, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's like waking you up at twelve fifteen <laughs> or some shit. Oh. Like... So Tommy, you mentioned that you got into racing in two thousand seven, and you know it's it's twenty twenty one. You're the tire specialist on one of the most successful teams in racing for the number 19, Martin Truex. How does somebody, first of all, how did you get into racing? And how can some kid who's listening to this that's always been a huge fan go, I want to be in in 15, 20 years, I want to be where Tommy is today. How does somebody do that? Start with with how you got Learn a lot about tires. Yeah. Yeah, go, go so that, I mean, that's the direction I had to go to. So when I first came in, moved down to North Carolina, I wanted to be a tire changer. Unfortunately, the pit crew, if you're not at the upper echelon of that, I mean, your, your career is short. Those pit crew guys have a short career. And I started doing that in 2007. Did it 7, 8, 2009, up until 2012, and I was still pitting, changing tires. Uh, truck series arca was doing some cup races here and there but for back running teams nobody that was like a win in winning contention so finally i just wanted to get knowing that the career was short and that i wanted to have some longevity in the career so i started picking up tires started learning about them 
started getting into the science involved with tires and the volume inside the temperatures, how the sun makes it build, the car makes it, the cloudiness, the coolness of the tire, the stiffness, the you know, so many different things to a tire that a lot of people don't recognize. Yeah. <laughs> so 2012, 2013, I started playing with that and started changing tires and being a tire specialist just because I wanted to get into that side of it. So I went to BK Racing in 2013, started doing it for that cup team for Travis Quapple. And I started taking off there in the cup series. And my crew chief at the time, Mike Ford, who used to be Ben Hammond's crew chief, he was very knowledgeable with tires. And he would make me ride to and from the racetrack with him. The guys would have me in the team van together, and he would make me ride with them. You know, our ride to the hotel, he'd say, this is what we're going to do with tires. It's going to be 75 degrees. It's going to be sunny. We need to have tires set here. We need to set them at this time. We need to do this. The guy was so particular, and he ingrained that in me to treat it. He always said, treat tires like babies because it is. They're so sensitive. Like I said, three-tenths of air can adjust how the driver feels. How the hell can the sun coming out and the cloud coming out not adjust it when it's increasing it and decreasing it by two you know, mm-hmm. in a matter of 20 minutes. So just because, like he said, he always said treat him like babies and just because he was so anal about it, it made me be that way. And then at so the end you, of 2014, when I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so you got an opportunity to make a transition from actually being one of the athletes who is jumping over the wall and changing <laughs> the tires. No, they're athletes. Oh, I know. And those guys are tough. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why there's a shelf life. Yeah. You got an opportunity to be more on the engineering side yeah. of the business exactly. that I extended your longevity. But how does somebody even get to that point? Like, how do you know, there had to be something that there was an entry point for you to even just getting into changing tires. Like, how does somebody go, I want to be in that. Who do I contact? Where, what high school counselor do you talk to say, <laughs> how can I get a job on a race team changing tires? High school counselor. So I, when I moved down here to start changing tires, I, I let my mouth do the talking, I guess. So I, I started waiting tables at um, a restaurant called The Little Dewey on Speedway Boulevard. And guys from Roush Racing used to come in there and eat lunch. And as I was waiting on them, I'd talk to the crew guys, talk to the shop guys, start BSing with them a little bit. And I was you know, just a waiter at the end of 2006. A bartender at the place I worked at, his nephew worked at Roush on the 26 car. I went out drinking with them one night after a shift, just like you do, working at Red Rocks, go across the street, Fox and Pound, have a couple yep. drinks, yep. and BS. So that's what we did, and one of the guys that was with us that night was a tire changer on the Xfinity side, but his job at the shop, which every shop has it, and it's one of the entry-level, sorry, it's one of the entry-level positions as a shop guy when you're a picker that yeah. You take care of all the pit stop tires. You glue up all the pit stop tires for the pit crews. You clean all the tires after the pit crews use them. And that was his job in the shop. Sure. So he would say, come up to the shop, come up to the gate, help me with my job. Pretty much I was doing it for free. Yeah, and yeah. this guy was Intern- getting, yeah. and he was like, help me glue tires, help me do this. And when we're done and the guys are at lunch, I'll show you how to change tires it wasn't live pit stops you would just jack the car up uh, hook the gun up he's like i'll show you teach you some ins and outs and then 
just take it from there. That was nice. Yeah, that shit looks intense. There was a lot of there was a lot of hours of free work. Yeah, it seems like the equivalent of I want to be an actor, so I'm going to move to L.A. and get a job as a server, and hopefully I meet somebody (laughs) that gives me my first part. As we know, you and I, networking works. Yeah, of course it does. That's just another form of networking Tommy did. He ran his mouth until somebody couldn't say no, and that's the way it works. Nice. Everywhere. That's how I got one of my good friends, I I think Don remembers, uh, Jordan, who played – for the Browns at the time, he ended yep. up getting traded. He was a NFL wide receiver. That's- I don't know if you remember the Super Bowl when the Panthers played the Broncos. He had the yes. long. So anyway, so when he went to the Broncos, I was working at BK Racing at the end of 2014. Okay. And I was, I'd never been to Denver, Colorado in my life. Beautiful. I was going to a Broncos game and it was mid-December and I was leaving the shop to go to the plane. And one of the guys on the team, as I was walking out of the shop, he was giving me crap. He was like, hey, man, where are you going? Because you can't leave early, like just joking around, like taking a half day. I was like, I'm flying to Colorado. And at that team, at that time, there was like buzz around that the 78, that point row racing was starting the second team, which they weren't. It was oh. all say, it was all BS. It was never happening. But... He happened to say to me as I was walking out, he was going to Denver. He goes, where are you going to apply for the second team out there at Furniture Row? And I was like, what do you mean second team at Furniture Row? <laughs> he goes, Furniture Row Racing starting a second team. I figured you were going out there for an interview. I was like, no, I'm going out there for a football game. <laughs> I went, I'm sitting at the airport in Charlotte waiting for my flight. The tire specialist on the 78, I just knew from the racetrack, because the guys, the other tire specialists on sure, other teams. Sure. Yeah. I sent him a text message and I said, hey, man, coming in town this weekend. I've never been to Colorado. I'm going out there for the Broncos game, staying with my buddy downtown. Let me know if you want to catch up and have a beat. It was off season. I hadn't seen him since the season, which was like a month and a half before that. He was like, yeah, hell yeah. He was like, give me a ring. I'll take you by the shop. You can see the shop. I was like, okay. Got to Colorado. Uh, Went to Jordan's house the next day. I think Jordan had some stuff to do the day before. And so I went and met Chad and we had a beer and he had said, he was like, I'm sorry, we're not starting a second team, but I'm coming off the road. Mm. He's like, so we need a new tire specialist. He said, is there any interest in hell? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the football game the next day, I went home, got a call back from the crew chief on that team four days later and said, Hey man, I heard you're interested. <clears throat> do you want to fly back out here and do an interview? Two days later, I'm on a plane. This is six days after I've ever been to Denver. <laughs> so back out to Colorado, had an interview, flew all the way back home. The next day after I flew home, he called me, said I had the job. I moved out five days later. Dope. I got all my clothes in a trash bag and moved to Colorado. So within within two weeks of the first time of me ever moving to, of being to Colorado, I ended up living up That's there like for the next five all, years. All the glories <laughs> of being on the crew of a professional NASCAR team is you move with five days notice with yeah. all your shit in a trash bag. Like. That's like being a damn hobo, man. You got to stick crazy. with a handkerchief and everything. Hey, look, right place, right time, Tommy. Hey, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Things happen out. for a reason, bro. Uh, do you ever have any aspirations to do anything <laughs> different, like crew chief or anything of that level? Somewhat. I'm actually yeah. going – so Gibbs has a program where they pay for college. So I've been – for the last two and a half years, I've been going back to college and getting business administration degree. Congrats, good for man. you, man. So finance and marketing. So I'm nope. – 
it's weird. Most guys want to, in my position, want to become a crew chief or yeah. that, but I, I like the marketing side. I like BSing with the sponsorship people. And Say, bro, like, that's where the money is. That's what I I said that's where the money is. Because that's what we also enjoy doing. <laughs> so. yeah, walk around, BS, talk to people, yeah. and then try to find sponsors, get sponsors, introduce people. Do you I play golf, like, Tommy? Know, and no offense to the current guys, but a lot of the guys who have that position, the marketing position, yeah, they've been in the marketing position their whole life. I think someone who's been a tire changer, who's been a mechanic, who's been a tire specialist, who's done – so many different things around the NASCAR garage. You probably have a lot to say taking some high-level sponsors around the racetrack mm. and, and, and showing and plus, what is going on. And plus, being an old like northeastern Italian guy, you got that gift of gab anyway. So yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different than getting a twangy guy from the shop that comes out there <laughs> yeah. and tries to talk marketing with the sponsors. It's not the same. <laughs> so it's, it's, what, it's what my mom always told me. She goes, "I don't know what it is about you, but you always seem to step in shit." It's mainly because of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> how is your golf game, Tommy? Yeah, because if you're going to be in the getting sponsorship realm, you might want to sharpen that oh. up a little bit. I you mean, want to? Just, this is your guy. Yeah, the worse I am at golf, yeah. The more the more drinks I have, the more my. Then, well, Tommy, you already get four or five hours with them on the course, man. The more balls you lose, the longer it takes, the longer you have. You know <laughs> exactly. what I'm saying? You just the more you can just build and build that relationship. I I, lo I love to take people out to the golf course for business. That's really how I make my money. So one last question, J Dre has is: Do you ever get to drive the car? Yeah. No. Uh, ever want to? Yeah. Well, I'm a big I'm a big eye racer. Yeah. Um, you guys have ever heard of eye racing? No. No. Uh, I wish I could show you my setup upstairs, but I can't take the monitor up there. But I have the seat, the steering wheel and pedal, the whole deal, the whole cockpit deal, the screen TV. I do league races. Tonight, we have a race at 9 o'clock that always streams live on YouTube. Um, Shut up. Okay. So what, what's, what, what's the website? What's the, um, what's the YouTube channel? I believe it's called Max Speed TV. I'm in a couple different things, but I believe this one is Max Speed TV. Max, Max Speed TV. On YouTube. What time does it start? Dre is going crazy over here. Yeah, he's, he's a huge NASCAR fan. What time does it start? Uh, nine o'clock. Nine p.m. Yeah. Now, like every yeah, it is. It's on Max Speed TV, and it is the Arca series at Indianapolis. Okay, nice. so again, pardon my ignorance. I'm sure your setup is in insane, but so this is like a big it's, video game. It's setup. Okay, so it's, it's like all, a big. Video it's all game. driver. You can't change, and you can't even change tire pressure. Every okay. single car. All 35 cars or whatever's in the field have the exact same setup. That's very interesting. All right. Okay. Yeah, so I had no idea. So, Tommy, we're at about an hour, and we <laughs> want to be respectful of your time because we know you just got off work you and you had do. a long weekend. <laughs> I it's over. I, the only thing I really have to do before I pick up my kids from daycare is get up there and practice Indianapolis for the night because I'm probably going <laughs> to uh, That's a fair point. So is there anything else Andre that you want to share, <laughs> anything else you want to share with the audience that they may not know about either your job or the industry of racing or anything like that that – isn't mm. common knowledge that you think people you wish people knew that they're ignorant about just they need to go yeah i think everybody needs to experience a race i think you need to get there if a race starts at one o'clock you need to get there four hours before the race start drinking it's not like a basketball or a football game you bring a cooler of beer that fits about 12 beers on ice Gosh. put it between your legs see Sounds all like they have to see 
get there, see the anthem, the pre-race ceremonies. Yeah, man. The 600's coming up here yeah. in a couple of weeks, yeah. so we might we but might have to go capacity. see that. It's a max back. capacity already. Oh, well, dude, I, I think that was it was max capacity prior to the governor opening yeah, up. Yeah, which he everything. just did. So he just opened up everything full capacity in North Carolina. So yeah, it's probably still full they, capacity. <laughs> yeah, this is North Carolina. Imagine. I, I okay, know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, I, I actually they, they announced it that once the governor opened it up. They went to full capacity, no guidelines, no masks, no Telling nothing. You, yeah. no. It's full. I no. have a common misconception that I've always heard yeah. is that drivers are not athletes. That's and, false. Oh, that is no, absolutely no joke. false. Like how much that, the, it's, the thing is, how much does it take to really drive around in a car for 500 miles? It takes a lot. Yeah, I've seen the strength. Come to my house sometime, and I'll okay. put you on my iRacing simulator okay. for – 10 minutes and tell me how tired you are. Okay, we can do a remote show. <laughs> that's, not, that's not even a real race car. Right. You have the G's and everything going through your body. That, that's, I'll race, that race tonight, I'll run about 50, 60, 70 laps, and I'll be drenched in sweat. Holy crap. Tommy, I get tired, tired. doing it. I get tired doing a, a 15 minute a go-kart race. Yeah, it is, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. And I was like, because every time somebody would say that, I'd be like, no, you guys, they lose like 100 pounds during these races. Yeah. They're all suited up and stuff. But, man, they yeah, sweat they for to, a reason. They, those guys have to work out. Oh, yeah, all it's nuts. Guys have to work out. It's yeah. nuts. You don't yeah. see fat NASCAR drivers. Not anymore. I don't, I don't know if you did to begin with. They got to fit behind them wheels, boy. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that, that shit's tight, dude. <laughs> well, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have anything else. Anything else, man? Do you have anywhere that you want uh, our listeners to follow you? Any pages, Truex, or anything like that that you want to give a shout out to? My Instagram is TJ DeBlasi. So TJ DeBlasi. Okay, so TJ DeBlasi. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Tommy. We where can where can we find us? We, do that. we can find us all over the place. So we are on we at J Schmo Sports on all social media. Joe Schmo Sports Show at gmail dot com. J Schmo Sports or is it Joe Schmo Sports on YouTube? Joe Schmo Sports. Yeah. Schmo Sports Show on YouTube. Yeah. And thanks for being here, dude. This has been enlightening for That's sure, right. especially for people that have zero zero clues on NASCAR. So this was <laughs> nice. I learned a lot of new words today, which I will try to implement. For sure. Trying to use it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's going to be talking about Data stagger. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use all these things. Yeah. So, Tommy, thank you so much, man. And uh, good luck this weekend. It sucks you're going to be spending more time away from the family, but it's enjoy a good job. Enjoy the fans, man. Yeah, enjoy That's the fans, bro. Enjoy the fans. It's going to be a blast. Thanks, right, guys. Thanks, brother. Have a good day. Thanks, Tommy. Until next time, we are the Schmoes. And cut to the theme music. Let's do it. The Joe Schmoes.